Well, thank you. <laughs> Should have been recording. Can you see my hand? Should have. Should have. Uh oh. Oh, the computer hand? Hello? David? Yes. Oh, that's right, David's headphones. Oh, that's right, David's headphones going on. Help. I'm trapped <laughs> in a well. <laughs> Is this Midland, Texas? In the 1990s? <laughs> You know, I was reading, for some reason, I looked at that story again the other day because someone had commented about how, how like, enraptured people were with that story, but how little people care about doing basic, like, health stuff, like wearing a mask and stuff. And I looked, at, I looked it up to remind myself, and the whole thing was only, like, a day-long story. It seemed, it seemed like a whole huge thing, but it was not, it didn't last that long. I don't remember. I mean, I I remember it, but I don't remember that much. It was huge, wasn't it? At the, yeah. In the moment, it was huge. Hi, Jake. Do you know, uh, if you guys look over the left-hand side, you can raise your hand on Zencaster. Nice. Is that a hint? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you have to actually push the button, Jake, not just do it in real life. Yeah, the computer hand, Yes. How dare you talk about my girlfriend that way? <laughs> I get this whole sound bank of four sounds. Is that the sign we've been talking too long? No, that's the way Jake... It starts grief counting. <laughs> uh, I think you have that mistaken with the lightning round. I actually do lightning round grief counseling these days. <laughs> Just go around the circle and time and time and time. I have started to feel that I will never want children and yeah. time. <laughs> That's enough for today. Why don't you sit on that for a week? Look, we officially started. Look at that. And if we were in a real radio station, I would slide down the slider on the thing and do the intro. Pretty cool. Yeah. By the slider, do you mean like a fireman's pole? No, I mean the, like a, a sandwich, like a northeastern sandwich. <laughs> oh, okay. I still don't know what a slider is. Is that I don't I don't know. What it's it like is. a crystal, I think. Yeah. It's like a fancy crystal. It's like a crystal that you would pay like $10 for. A dark crystal? <laughs> it is like a dark. It's a dark crystal. I've been dreaming of it. So, uh, are we trying- Oh, Jake, am I do I say who you are? Like am I allowed to say who you are? Uh, sure. Yeah. Do you know Can we give out your address? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean part of the part part partially. Yeah. I mean, do we really know who each other are? Yeah, wow. we're camp friends. Um, 
Well, I guess I'll do the intro, and we'll see if this works. So this is uh, Attica Shrugged, a uh, podcast about politics, culture in the South, things going on this week. Here's our theme song. Do you guys know the lyrics to this? It sounds very familiar. Well, it's our song we use for the intro of our show for the last few years. So I hope, I hope there aren't any lyrics. It's just the intro music to our show. Um, all right, so and this week, very special episode. For It's been a while since we've had a guest on. We should have more guests, but uh, it's hard enough just to coordinate amongst the three of us. Uh, so we have our special guest today, uh, Jake Morrill. Uh, are we allowed to say what Jake's job is? I think he's like a tank commander in the Oak Ridge uh, National Guard. Is that right? The Watts Bar Lake uh, def- defenders. Yeah, I'll, I'll volunteer. It's it's an amateur Navy. Uh, we patrol the shores mostly. Yeah. Of Watts Bar Dam. Of Watts Bar Dam. Yeah. Couple couple people have gone over through the years, but mostly we we keep it safe. Collect uh, and you collect uh, double headed frogs. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they're lucky. Um, so here's the premise of today's show, and we'll see how it works. Jake apparently had a uh, list of questions he wanted to ask us, or topics that he wanted us to talk about. I don't know what they are. Um, I don't think the rest of us know what they are. So we just asked Jake to come on and give us the topics, and we'll see how it goes. Am I right? Is that right? Do I have it correct? Yeah, that's it. I, I, uh, I've been shouting these questions for a long time um, as I've listened uh-huh. to them, but this time I feel like I get a better chance of you answering them. Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Do you, do you want me just to jump right in and ask? Well, let's first ask how you are, Jake. Are you okay? I haven't talked to you in a while. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Uh, I just uh, we uh, My wife and I just got a new bed for the first time in almost 20 years yesterday. And uh, it has uh, uh, a thing where you can raise the head. So I'm just raising and lowering my head. So you've been admitted to the hospital is what you're saying. <laughs> That's what my kid said. My kid said it looks like a hospital bed. It's it's actually it's a kind of a it's a spa thing. It's a it's kind of we're, yeah we're kind of turning the house into a a spa here in in COVID nineteen. We haven't left in three months. One of the most we fascinating have. things about aging is seeing how how quickly it turns from Jake sending me a cassette copy of his new punk rock album uh, to how quickly he's now excited about his hospital bed he's bought for his house. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should see the IV drip. It's like right, right here. Like you can touch it. Uh, <laughs> wait, wasn't one of your yeah. kids born in the old bed? We were trying didn't to remember you, that. I think so. But didn't you have your kid at home? I thought you had your kid at home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Molly did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yep. So I guess the old, the old bed was a hospital bed as well then. Sort of. It was, yeah. We we just go from hospital bed to hospital bed. <laughs> oh, no. That's how we roll here. Exciting. That's the story of life. Like you begin life in a hospital bed and you end life well, in a hospital bed. That's the best case bed. scenario. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> if it works uh, out. But enough about Jay's pers- uh, professional life. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So why don't you do that? Why don't you? Why don't you like give us the topic? I don't know. I'm really interested in what it is that you want to hear from us because uh, I don't know anything personally. So. Okay. 
Well, so so yeah, I've got a bunch of questions here. Uh, yeah. Here's the first one. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm really interested in the idea uh, of the South and Appalachia in particular uh-huh. as an internally colonized region, uh-huh. uh, controlled controlled by people who live elsewhere, yes. designed to exploit labor and extract yeah. raw materials, all yeah. the while romanticizing a supposedly simpler culture. Yeah. Um, you know, but this is a complicated uh, lens to lay over it, and so I'm just. I want you guys to talk about that. What do you think? What, well, I'll let the Appala- the people from Appalachia talk first, and then I'll give you my, my urban theory angle. So uh, if you're from Appalachia, feel free. I think that um, I've probably mentioned before there's an American experience uh, from PBS about the Hatfields and the McCoys. And I read, or, or rather watched that, and it gave me a whole new kind of lens to see this all through because I didn't realize that that feud had its roots in the Civil War, but really became about timber rights and about exporting um, timber to the rapidly growing East Coast and to the uh, Industrial Revolution, and that it was all tied up with just exactly that, with extraction capitalism. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, the, the coal companies, one thing and another, uh, yeah, I think that there's a case that could be made for, uh, for being colonized people. And I think that the myth of the redneck and the hillbilly and whatever else, they serve that, that, uh, uh phenomenon very well because, it's for our own good that we're colonized. Our culture isn't really very valuable and we're operating out of pure ignorance. And so having people come in from outside to tell us how to do it right is really important um, uh, according to according to the narrative. Yeah. And, and I think it that puts a lot of like, I think I've seen a lot of chips on people's shoulders. Like I grew... Where I grew up, I was close to, kind of close to Lake Norris. And a lot of people from like Ohio, I guess they called it the I-75 corridor, like Indiana and Ohio would would come down and buy property in Claiborne County on the lake. And those were always like the dumb Yankees that had to be tolerated like when they came into town and they always knew better and they were always building some sort of crazy you know, they had some sort of crazy house and and they were buying they bought all the lakefront property that nobody could afford. The people that had grown up on the lake and grew up like fishing in the lake, you know, could not afford to buy a lake, you know, buy these crazy expensive like lake houses. Um, and I saw that, you know, a lot. And I didn't really I mean, where I'm from, it's not really coal mining country, so, but it's coal mining adjacent. Like a lot of people would go into Middlesbrough and uh, up into Kentucky to work on the coal, um, you know, and, um, you know, and they were all, you know, kind of, they, uh, they were glad to have had a job, but they were, you know, kind of felt like the coal company used them up at the end of the day from what my experience. Uh, yeah. Well, there's, you know, the, I often cite this, and I think it's cited wrong. It gets shared on Facebook every once in a while, and I've been guilty of using it, maybe in the wrong way or without defining it enough. But there's that uh, map that shows like how much of a state's 
how much of federal taxes go into a state and how much the state pays out back into federal taxes. You know what I'm talking about? That one where it shows like, you know, yeah. uh, the red states and especially southern states are always um, taking in more federal tax money than comes out of them. Right. And the, the kind of what you're supposed to take away from that is that these states are fiscally not productive states. And so therefore, um, like what happens to them, it, they're a drain on society at, at large. And like, I, if you interpret that in the way of seeing um, re- maybe Republican government in the states isn't as efficient as it claims to be, and maybe uh, maybe what Republicans are saying works for the economy, maybe they really don't know that. I think it's effective in maybe displaying that. But also what it's showing is not, or not showing you as important, which is how much money is coming out of those states and not going into the federal like tax money, but is just ma- is is going into like the private economy or the economy in other ways. So, uh, not a- in Appalachia, but in Louisiana, I think it's something like thirty percent of of oil and natural gas comes through Louisiana, and Louisiana is still a poor state, right? And I think um, you know the similar stats are for Appalachia, where you you have uh, coal coal from Appalachia and powered, you know, part of the national economy for decades, but the money didn't come back in. It didn't stay there is the main thing, right? It didn't stay there. And you know, you guys know better than me, if you drive through Appalachia today, you can come across Walmart after Walmart after Walmart that uh, wrecked small downtowns. And then that money never stayed in the town, right? That money goes, uh, you know, indirectly to Arkansas, uh, and then out to to increase Walmart stock, which is an international company and one of the most wealthy companies in the world and the largest employer in America, right? So this whole system that exists exists to kind of suck money out of of colonized regions. And I think Appalachia is. I think the South in general is. I think any area where where the people, the workforce is suffering and poor, uh, there are people somewhere who are who are making making something off that there's an economy that's based on that there's a reason it works that way right it's not just that people in mississippi don't work as hard as people in uh massachusetts or something like that right and the interesting thing about appalachia i think is that usually that kind of colonization is highly racialized in america because as you know if you're non-white in america you're you're eminently more exploitable but that uh appalachia has in many ways been exploitable um, and so it often gets a kind of different treatment because it's it's uh, white poverty. And I think that kind of goes to what David was talking about, about how then it gets surrounded in a mythology that, um, well, that white poverty, uh, the Appalachian working poor and colonization has this interesting culture to it. So maybe it's kind of deserved that it happened to them because it's so backward. They're so backwards. Maybe that this ha- is what has to be done to help them. Right. It has to be done to help help them out. Um so yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting issues going on with with colonization in Appalachia. That's my short run through it. Okay, thanks. I'm going to move on to other questions. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, it's yeah. a lightning around for sure. Well, the whole show is going to be a lightning. Like grief counseling. Charge. Okay. So for a show about uh, Southern culture and politics, I haven't heard you all talk very much about religion. Um, so I'm I'm just interested to hear your your reflection on that. Uh, the South is the home of Jerry Falwell and also Martin Luther King. Um, Christianity is is obviously dominant culture. There's a long history of Judaism though as well, and more and more uh, Hinduism and Islam. 
So getting away from all the familiar cartoons and caricatures, what's, how do you see uh, uh, religion as a, as a creator, as a reflection, as an obstacle to the expression of uh, Southern culture? Wow. Uh, I went last, so I guess I'll go first on this one. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, have we not talked about it? I would, I think I would talk about religion, but I, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, so it was kind of part of my entire experience of, of being, um, from the South is, is being Southern Baptist and everything that that entails, which is quite a lot. Uh, um, you know, the good things and the bad things. So uh, our fish fries, very, very good. Our, uh, the entire idea that rock music was bad and Dungeons and Dragons would make you possessed and into a rapist, which is literally, literally they would tell us uh, the stories about people playing Dungeons and Dragons going on to become rapists uh, in church and being possessed. So, yeah, it, the South, I, I can't, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but is, is, um, kind of out of proportion religious participation more than other areas of the country. And I think there are a lot of really good scholarly works on that that I haven't read. Um, so so my experience with it is pretty much limited to, to my personal experience, which is to say that, um, yeah, being Southern Baptist was kind of the dominant, the dominant persuasion. I remember the first time I ever interacted with a Jewish person to talk to them about their religion was at summer camp, right? It's like, what? Well, what is that all about? The first time I ever heard anyone explain what Judaism was, right? Uh, we didn't in my hometown. We didn't even have Catholics. There was a Catholic school in the town next door, but there weren't that many Catholics, so it was overwhelmingly Southern Baptist or like Presbyterian and, and some Methodists. Um, as to the the, but I also think to Jake's point, there's an interesting thing in the South too because I live next to an air force base there there are play there are like you know buddhist temples because so many people from thailand relocated there there are uh growing things like that so i'll let somebody else comment now because that was just my personal experience go ahead well i'll go since we're doing the if we're doing the snake, snake handling if we're doing the snake yeah we're doing the snake handling snake draft <laughs> uh, i'll go um next i yeah i don't know i guess yeah i don't talk about religion that much in my regular uh life uh outs um but i did i grew up southern baptist as well i and i lived like a mile away from the church like the church was my great grandfather built the church that i went to well he was one of like i mean he didn't build it all himself but uh, he was one of the people and my grandmother was one of the founding like one of the last surviving uh, like when i think she might have been the last member of the church to like the last founding member to pass away and i was i helped i co-founded the the youth group at the church um wow way to go yeah, Jack. yeah. Nice. and nice it work. was um i mean i think like it is such a center of like community um and and it was but I always, I always had like a weird, it was a center of the community and it was, but it was also like a huge, a heavy obligation that people had to do because within my home, there was uh sort of like turmoil, maybe about going to, like my, my parents never went to the, like my parents hardly ever went to church. Like I think my dad would go with me on like Easter uh, and maybe like during Christmas. Um, 
that was he and and um and he was always he was a Methodist like he was a Methodist and there was this big like when I was young they would tell me oh like Methodists and Baptists are completely different like they're so different um you know like (laughs) you know he might as well have been from like he practiced some sort of like bizarre uh pagan religion like Methodist but then I would go to a Methodist church and I would be like I don't I don't really pick up on what the difference is um and then also my my best friend growing up was African-American and I would go to his church uh, and his and it was uh, it was like an African-American uh, Baptist church. And there were I was like, oh, like people actually like seem to like to sing. And like it's a little more like I don't know, like they seem to have more fun at church, like, like church was more fun. But it was also an obligation too, like um, for them and. And, and it was, it did kind of put like these like strict, uh, you know, like strict rules on everybody. Like you didn't want to get caught drinking. That was bad. Uh, you didn't want to get caught, you know, hanging out with like bad people. That was bad. And like pretty much every sermon was about how every sermon started out like when the preacher when I was an alcoholic before you know before I was set like every I thought you had to be an alcoholic to be a preacher when um like when I was growing up um and and then when I went to high school yeah like my first like the first people that were not protestant that I met was uh there was a guy there was a guy that was mormon uh and there was like a mormon church in like Powell Valley, like down in Powell Valley. I mean, it wasn't even really, it was like a, it was like a warehouse that they had like a church. I think they have a real, they have an actual church building there now. And there was a guy who was Catholic who went to Middlesbrough to like, there was a Catholic church in Middlesbrough. And it was such a like, um, a fascinating, fascinating thing. And, um, but there was also in Middlesbrough, there was also like, a couple like well there's a Thai family who I became friends who I also became friends with their son who were from like who were Buddhists. Um so and that and I think there are more like kind of the community like there, but it uh is more there's like there's a bigger there's multiple Catholic churches now and there's like the the Mormon church is actually established is like a actual church building and a lot of people go to that church and I don't think there's, there's no Buddhist temple, even though there's a couple of Buddhist families like in, in the area. Um, but then I always, and I, and I still sense like, I don't go to church myself right now. Um, I know nobody that cares is listening, uh, but I don't go to church, but I do <laughs> kind of sense like that sense of community. I grew up like they did there. I mean, that was a, a thing that I really I really liked but the reason why I left the church was because they were very conservative and you know and it you know it was kind of non-compromising conservative uh type people and I've and I found other churches since then that are not like that but I don't know that's kind of my rambling take on religion in Claremont County <laughs> well, David. I mean, um, I guess it probably the lens I see at Alter is very personal too. I think maybe that's one of the reasons that we don't talk about it as much 
even though it's incredibly important, of course, in the civil rights movement, it's incredibly important in its relationship to like white supremacy groups, but also to the people who are opposed to them. It's uh, incredibly important all the way across Southern culture. But the lens that I tend to see it all through, my great-grandfather was, um, I think, a fairly important preacher in uh, the region. And that led my father to be very anti-religious because he grew up and um, uh, had a lot of expectations put on him. And so in my household, I learned some skepticism. I have to say, my siblings are not by any means anti-religious. My, uh, one of my sisters is very religious Protestant. Uh, my grandmothers, who I loved and spent tons and tons of time with and went to church with, were Protestant. Um, my granny, missionary Baptist, completely full-fledged. And my grandmother, Dykes, had her own version of religion that came from reading the Bible a lot and thinking that she knew as much about it as uh, any preacher was likely to tell her. But when I was growing up, my experience of religion was almost all negative. Uh, I was constantly sort of reminded that I was going to hell. And this is back before I figured out that I was gay, although maybe some other people had figured it out before I did. But I was constantly being asked if I was saved. There was always a a tent revival happening somewhere, it seemed like. And all the other kids would go and they would get all filled up with Jesus and then come and tell me uh, what a sinner I was and how destined for hell I was and everything else. Based just on the fact that I answered the question, have you been saved? Uh, I guess as honestly as I knew how to uh, answer it. I find that a lot of the religious, well, a lot of writers who deal with religion from the South, I find really interesting, most notably, of course, Flannery O'Connor, who has really interesting things to say about religion and the uh, uh, sort of Christ-haunted South. Uh, And then I remember when I was in college, I was sitting around with some friends. Uh, At one point, I'll also add, uh, uh, for Jake's sake here, at one point, we went to the Unitarian Church in Knoxville for a little while. And I think we just got kind of tired of the commute. I felt a kind of class issue while I was there because, I mean, I was, mine was a family. We went to Head Start. We were, um, I don't want to overplay that we were super, super poor or whatever, but uh, certainly we were seen as poor by other people. Enough so to where, yeah, we we got a lot of outreach in the 60s from very well-meaning liberals from up north coming down to tell us uh, how to appreciate our own culture, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, I'm really glad for them. They did help me to appreciate my own culture in a lot of ways. But when we went to the Unitarian Church, there was a lot of like making things out of clay and stuff. And it just didn't feel like religion if it wasn't scary. They weren't eating the clay like we did in our Baptist church. (laughs) No, they were not clay eaters. (laughs) Um, And then I remember sitting around in college, and I was sitting around with some friends um, uh, of mine, some lady friends, and we were all kind of ragging on fundamentalists and on uh, Protestant religious people in general. 
And I just, it suddenly came to me, I realized that when I was saying these things, I was saying them about my grandmother, that she was a fundamentalist and that she was a Protestant and that she was very religious and that I'd never really met a person who was a better human being than her or who did more charitable work, even though she was far from wealthy. But, uh, and she did it because of her religion. I mean, I think it was also in her nature to be a generous and giving person, but she did it through the context of and in the context of uh, religion and religious service. And I can remember going and delivering food to people in the uh, community and she would go and sit with people who were sick. Uh, she would help people out uh, by, well, in a million different ways. And I realized that I was indulging in a sort of negative stereotype that scooped up a lot of people I loved into it. <clears throat> and so my, my uh, personal relationship to religion, I've never had any religion. I've always uh, been a real student of, I think, doctrine and dogma more than the actual history of churches and uh, the social impact of churches. But uh, I've never really been religious, but... Um, I can be critical of, of churches, but I don't believe in really letting that resentment that I have from my young years do too much of the talking for me, even though I still hear a lot of uh, religious people saying a lot of things that basically boil down to they think people like me should be imprisoned or dead. And... Uh, so, but that, I don't think that's a majority of religious people or anything, but it, I, it hits a nerve. It hits an old nerve. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, sorry. So, yeah. That's, I, I would be remiss in mm -hmm. not saying too, like the, one of the main things about religion where I grew up is just that it's absolutely segregated. Right. Uh, and I, I don't know how much that's changed over the years since I've left. Right. So um, our Southern Baptist church was absolutely white, 100%. Right. And so my experience of growing up in that church was uh, segregated and a lot of it was rationalizing or celebrating that segregation. Right. Even if that wasn't saying it directly, even though looking back, I think sometimes it probably was. And, and then the interesting thing for me is later on being involved in kind of uh, leftist politics. That's not that's not every church in the South. And it's certainly not the black church in the South. Not that that's a monolith, but, you know. It's not, there's a lot of real activism and civil rights work happens, of course, in, in the, in the uh, African-American churches and um, uh, Latin churches in the South, like lots of the Catholic churches, right? And I've, I've just been reading um, Mike Davis's new book, uh, Set the Night on Fire, about the 60s in L.A. And I hadn't realized, I guess I kind of realized, but I hadn't really thought about it that much, about how, how much of the activism that was taking place within uh, the black church in the South was also going out to LA doing activism in LA and, and inspiring uh, Los Angeles activists. Um, and so there's interchange there, but interestingly, this I never knew there's also an interchange between kind of racist segregated LA and the South where the LA police force was doing recruitment, had recruiting posters in rural Mississippi to have people come out there and be cops. Right. <laughs> be white cops. Um, but anyway, so I think that there, there is a diverse, more diverse church in the South. It was not my experience until an adult to ever encounter that. And I don't think that's 
um, an accident. I think that's like uh, kind of one of the major pathways of at least the Southern Baptist Church in the South. Talking about, uh, you know, that, that, that book, uh, Warmth of Other Suns. Uh, of course. Sir. I was just yeah. thinking when you were talking about uh, Los Angeles uh, being an expression of, of you know, ac- activist uh, faith communities. Um, she mm-hmm. she has, I think, a map or either a description of like the, the, the Great Migration. It was uh, people in Texas mm-hmm. who went to California, people in Florida went to New York. I mean, it was very... Uh, so that would be, right. Mississippi Delta, yeah, yeah, Chicago. Yeah. So right? that would be like, interesting just to see is there resonance in how you know how different different ones of those urban areas expressed. I don't know. Right. Also, it should be said that's one of the greatest book titles of all time. Yeah. Very good. Everyone. Should I got read. another question. Okay. So the three of you, um, yeah. I have I have to I have to do a little. Uh, um, uh, contortion at the end of this question to make it fit, but the oh, good. Uh, the three of you are talking about Southern culture, and yet uh, at least two of you are in exile from it. Um, you know, <laughs> one living in Mexico, one the other in Japan. Chad, I'm I, I this is the contortion is I think of Houston as a place uh, apart yeah. from any notion of local culture. It's just sort of transcended into you know. <laughs> Uh, but but maybe it's in the south. I don't know. An interstate. You're correct. No, you're correct. That's a very good. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm suburbs. wondering. You know, I had this thing about like James Joyce writing about Ireland from exile and how you know Chopin, uh, you know, writes uh, composes from Paris, not from Poland. That there are these um, artists, and that there's something about being in exile, about seeing home from afar. That uh, that informs a perspective and even enlivens it. And I just wonder about, you know, your comments or your thought about about how has living far from this this home that you have a whole podcast about uh, influenced and affected your perspective on it. It's a good question. Hey, so David, do you want to go first on this one uh, since you're the James Joyce of Rockford? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I would say that. Um, uh, getting out of uh, East Tennessee allowed me to like it and love it more than I ever could when I lived there. From a distance, I can talk about how beautiful it is. I can talk about how close the communities are. I can talk about how many friends I have that I grew up with there and one thing and another. But when I go back, I'm just miserable. And it's mostly political, you know, Um, um and so, you know, I'm not sure how much I write or uh, think specifically about, I, well, I've been recontextualizing a lot of the stuff I grew up with. Like I grew up in Rockford and I thought of Rockford as being a little store and an elementary school and uh, some very close together little housing and I never really thought about the fact that it was a factory town that they make where they make rope and, and mop heads. I think I mentioned before, and that the Cola family, um, Carl Cola was our state senator, and they pretty much ran and run Rockford School with Addison Cola. Um, so I, I think that's part of the lineage. Yep, yep, and. Uh, um, you know, for good or for ill, they still pretty much run things there. 
And, uh, uh, you know, I think being away from it is kind of what I have to do. Uh, and I lived in Austin, which is its own sort of odd, uh, self-congratulatory, uh, place. And I lived in New Orleans, which is also very self-congratulatory and very odd, but very much a part of the culture of the South. But it was so different from my Appalachian Rockford upbringing that that felt like a sort of exile too. You know, it's not this. It's not at all the same to live in a city, to live in a predominantly black city, to live in a, um, a largely Democrat city, um, as it is to 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 grow up in a small town in Appalachia. And so even that felt like exile. And I don't know. I'm just more comfortable in exile. I often say about living in Mexico that. When I walk down the street here, anybody can look and see that I do not belong here and the sort of uh, like I haven't my family hasn't been here for six generations. They can see that I'm an outsider. They can tell by my accent that I'm an outsider and I embrace that. I like the fact that they recognize me as an outsider because where I grew up, I felt like a super outsider and nobody seemed to recognize it. Um, or they did, but they resented it more. Like here, they just think, you know, I guess some variation on white people are crazy or gringos are crazy and uh, are sort of dismissive of uh, uh, foreigners' behavior. And also, um, yeah, they don't pretend to understand. And then the my worst experience when I go back is when people start talking to me and um, assume that I'm a racist because I'm white and I'm male and I'm Southern, uh, or assume any number of other things, assume my politics, assume all these other things. And what I like about being outside is that there's no current whatsoever trying to sweep me into that mainstream. Uh, I like being, yeah, I like being uh, an outsider. I think I at least like the degree to which I'm an outsider being acknowledged. Yeah. So I, uh, there's something that Paul Theroux, uh, wrote and I like Paul Theroux's nonfiction, right? Travel writing a lot better than his fiction writing, but he, uh, wrote in some of his travel writing that he could never write about a place that he was living at the time. Like if he, he wrote about Africa when he was living in Hong Kong and he wrote about Hong Kong when he was back in the U S and all that stuff. And I think there's something to that right of seeing it from the outside as a as a unit and i never in america i've never lived outside the south right i've uh florida richmond virginia tuscaloosa alabama briefly austin texas and then new orleans i think that covers it i've never lived outside of that and you know i I like living in the South, especially the Southeast. I, I would that's where I would like to live. But then, like David says, I've always lived in college towns or in towns that are predominantly African American and are kind of cities. Like I've never, I've never Tuscaloosa is rural, but Tuscaloosa is a college town, right? So like I've never had to live, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. But I, I will also say, like I'd not. Um, Living in Japan this time hasn't been a choice where I said that's what I want to do. It was because it's the after out of sixty job applications, it's the only job I got. So I'll take it for that, you know. But I, I would. I don't. I like living in the South. I feel in some ways comfortable living in the South, but I feel uncomfortable about a lot of the things that David said, which is um, 
I'm astonished when I'm in the South about the things people will say to me, assuming that I agree with them or that I'm on the same team as them. Um, it's truly astonishing to me, especially since I, since I spent most of my adult life not being there. Um, I did, I used to enjoy being, being like a foreigner in Japan, being not Japanese in Japan more a long time ago, I think that I did now. I think in my twenties when I wasn't much at stake, um, it, it could be funner to be the outsider. Uh, it's harder now. And also I think that social media, especially Twitter has made it, um, in some ways worse. I think that's probably a deeper discussion to get into, but like I, I think about it different. It's, I can't just be, oh, isn't it strange that I'm living in a foreign country now? And I think in some ways good, I think about a lot more what that means now. But anyway, but I think it's, you're right. Like the South starts to become a lot more of a category once you're outside of it. Like I don't, I, I'm not completely sold on the idea of it as a category with boundaries. Um, but once you're outside of it, I think that you can contemplate it that way. And um, yeah, I also think that of course, you can romanticize it a lot more because if I was living, you know, uh, somewhere I didn't want to be in the South right now, I would probably not want to talk about it and how how um, great it is. Not that that's what we talk about on here, but I, I would be less romantic about it, I'm sure. Chad? Yeah, look, I, I'm kind of torn. I'm, I'm torn... Too. And I, I will say that living in Houston, Houston is a, I don't really feel like I'm anywhere. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm anywhere other than like being close to being wiped out by a hurricane. That's the only, um, because like Houston, I mean, so many people come from so many places. I mean, I, I could probably count on like one, maybe two hands, like the number of people that are native Texans. Um, you know, that I interact with on it. Well, I don't interact with with them at all now, but like before on a daily basis, uh, when I was uh, going into a physical job. Um, and, and I remember like growing and I think about it sometimes and I do think I do kind of romanticize and I think, well, what really made me such an open-minded person and an open-minded person was I, I kind of got some, I, you know, through various, uh, influence. I became, so I was a pretty progressive kid growing up in a really small town and I had super conservative friends, but then I also had, you know, the, 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 the guy from like the Buddhist family, um, the Catholic and then also the, my friends from camp. And I always thought that that was like, I had, I was, uh, sort of like the intersection of all these different, uh, and I was able to negotiate and I was able to, you know, slip in and out of these different, you know, I could hang out with my really cool progressive friends, but then I could also hang out with my redneck friends. Um, and I don't know, maybe I thought that was easier at the time because I knew like when I turned 18, I was going to go somewhere else. Um, and I mean, and also too, like, I don't know if I would be living in Houston if it was not for my wife. I mean, my wife's job took us here and, and it's not really a, I mean, it's, we kind of have to go with her job. Her job is, you know, her job does not exist really in, in anywhere in the South much anymore. Or there's very few places you can have, her job is very limited. Um, so we have to go, uh, with her. So I feel like I couldn't go back if we wanted to, like we could, I couldn't go back if I wanted to. And I think about, yeah, like I could be, I could be a, uh, Oh, I bet I could handle it. I could handle 
living in the South and, you know, hanging out with my family and then hanging out with my old friends, but then also hanging out with my new progressive friends. And I could be, you know, the, the uh, Southern ex, I could be like the, you know, I could really appreciate being in the South if I was really back in the South. But then like I log on to Facebook (laughs) and I see like my dad's favorite cousin, (laughs) um, you know, I see my dad's favorite cousin posting, you know, like a, uh, a meme of uh you know nancy pelosi dressed in a hijab or something and then i just like i think yeah maybe i couldn't handle it i think maybe i couldn't handle hanging out with uh, yeah i think facebook we there's people, probably like uh, way more we could talk about cool. that but i think like facebook has kind of sealed the deal and a lot of that for me it's like oh my god that's who these people are uh yeah because i, I do find myself like you know someday maybe someday i would go back and i could be you know, I could run, I could become the principal at Claiborne County High School, and it would be really great. I right. do all these really great, innovative education things. Like, maybe we could do stuff with LMU, you know, and um, then I, you know, log in, and I see my cousin's dad has an avatar of, like, Joe Cool uh, waving the Confederate flag. Um, <laughs> Joe Cam- Oh, like, yeah, well, Joe Cool. That's right. Yeah, Joe, <laughs> Joe Cool. Um, and... And then I was like, could I handle it? Could I actually handle it? Um, then I kind of question myself um, about whether or not. Maybe it's better to appreciate it from afar. Maybe it's better to love than lost. I have friends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <it's better. laughs> I've got a few Appalachian friends in uh, New Orleans. And especially after Katrina, a lot of them talked about um, maybe going back. And then they would go back for a visit and say, yeah, that wasn't such a good idea. Not that going back for a visit wasn't, but the idea that they were actually going to go live in but West here's Virginia one thing, again, yeah. or in uh, East, Eastern One thing Kentucky. that I think might be different from Florida to you guys is that, and I've said this before, part of the problem in Florida isn't that it's in the South, it's that so many people from up North decided to retire to Florida and that they kind of viewed it as the place they could let their inner redneck out. And so they just feel completely okay with their open racism uh, now that they're not in New York anymore, that they can just move down and do that. And so part of the, part of the charm that's worn off on Florida is the people who aren't from Florida who've all decided. My, my to- mother has a neighbor like that. So she lives out in uh, rural Roan County. And um, mm-hmm. this guy, a few years ago, I hope he's not listening to this podcast. Well, well, but that's, that's my main audience this, is Roan County uh, transplants. <laughs> this guy moved down and, and bought the house uh, two <laughs> houses away from her. And he put up a big Confederate flag and a don't tread on me flag on the um, on the barn that faces the drive. They share this gravel drive that comes in and uh, just a few other kinds of things like that. And it turns out he's from Chicago. Yeah. And his, his wife told the neighbors, told my mother and, and the other neighbor, um, that uh, that he had always wanted to be a good old boy. And that he was just, that basically he was just there to act it out. Oh and so here's, here's the most like exp- explicitly, aggressively racist person yeah. in the whole neighborhood, or, or it's not a neighborhood, but the area. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I just think that's that's so interesting. People's people's opportunity to sort of act out their fantasy of, of what it means. It's like that book Confederates in the attic, or I don't know, just like there's something about it. That's not about 
culture, but it's about just being a jerk or something. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of that in Florida. Absolutely a lot of it. And it's a lot of what the local um, Republican most- Party where I'm from are largely – I can't think of anyone, well, one or two people from the area, but it's lots of these transplants who move down and yeah, they think um, this is where, you know, white people retire to and now we can, now we can do it. Here we go. We've got permission. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to clean up the history of the area. There was lots of racist stuff happening before them, but it was uh, the kind of racism you largely see with like, you know, FDR, New Deal, Southern white racism, which is not to apologize for that kind of racism, but um and then you have like transplants move down who are, who are just like the absolute on brand upstate New York uh, um, kind of Fox News racism and conservatism. Um, I'm sure we all know who Del McCoury is. And for uh, listeners who don't know, he's a sort of staple of bluegrass music, but he has a great song about the exact phenomenon that is called 40 Acres and a Fool. And it's about a guy who moves in and wears cowboy clothes. He made his money in the market. Now he's wearing cowboy clothes. Um, He's got no cows or chickens, but the hat and boots look cool. And um, uh, he drives, he has a McMansion and um, uh, drives a Hummer and um, uh, has a bobcat that he drove into a swimming pool. And uh, <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> it's sounds just, right. A, it's a very good song about the exact phenomenon of maybe even not necessarily from up north or out west or other parts of the country, right. but urban people who go out to live their fantasy of rural life. Well, in the probably like with uh, Jake's mom's neighbor, like I, I want them to have to go through the other steps of that. Like as we all know, like every kind of horrible redneck often has these kind of redeemable, uh, uh, not completely redeem them in their horribleness, but can do things right, like can fix a tractor or like drive a tow truck, right? Or you would uh, want them to do small engine repair for you, right? But I think these people have no other skill. They probably like worked an office job all yeah. their lives and then want to be a redneck. All right, I got another question. Actually, how, how long how long should I go? Because I could just keep on going. I think, well, we can do the, We can do a part two, but I think we should probably be the last question. We're do I still have my hour. lightning round or should I go to the lightning round right now? Oh, do you want to do that now? I'll do the lightning round now. Yeah. Okay, and so what, we give like one-sentence answers to these? Yeah, as fast as you can, or else I'm going to jump in and interrupt. Okay. Okay. Ready? Uh, okay. Yes. Your favorite Dolly Parton song? Jolene. I Will Always Love You. Dang it. Uh, uh, hard Candy Christmas, she didn't write it, so I'm not going to do that. Um, nine shoot, to nine to five, nine to five. Okay, the best sandwich? Uh, shrimp po' boy with uh, f- with a fried shrimp and catfish. Um, Open face turkey sandwich. Uh, Mufalada. F- favorite southern expression. <laughs> Gold, dang it. Um, <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't say it. Go on, uh, get. Maybe he went. He, <laughs> he went to shit, and the hogs ate him. <laughs> I done did it. He's been called home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think is the southern city that's farthest in the north? Farthest north southern city? Washington, D.C. 
Cincinnati. Oh, Baltimore. Oh, nice. Your favorite one. Southerner who is not Dolly Parton. <laughs> so there's not Dolly Parton. I got to think about this. Uh, do they need to be alive? No. Uh, Martin Luther oh, King. Dang it. <laughs> take all mine. <laughs> uh, uh, this is hard. Uh, Angie Davis. She's from Birmingham. Um... um uh, uh. Dale Earnhardt's still for you, Chad. <laughs> yeah, Dale Earnhardt. I'll say Dale Chipper Earnhardt. Jones. Yeah. Oh, Chipper. Yeah, Chipper. Peyton Man. Well, Peyton Manning's. Yeah, Peyton Man. I'll say Peyton okay. Manning. Oh, that's probably not. Oh, that's going to come back to me. That'll come back to haunt me. But I'm going to stick with Peyton Manning. <laughs> the, the given name of half the children born in East Tennessee in the last 20 years. Uh, okay. Um, one thing you wish everyone knew about the South. Uh, it looks like Japan. Uh, it's full of all different sorts of very odd people who are more liberal than you ever thought about being. It's, uh... The food is really good. <laughs> Even uh, that's not fried that's chicken. Fair. Okay. What drives you craziest about it? Uh, racism. Fried chicken? Racism. <laughs> the racism. <laughs> the racism. Systemic poverty. Um, God. We already took racism <laughs> and poverty. Yeah, that's exactly. What else you got? I think, I, I think, um, um, like the kind of know-nothing anti-intellectual politics and public discourse. All right. Those are the only lightning round questions I've got. I've got I've got long form questions, but I, but I think we're coming up on the end here. So uh, that's all I got. <laughs> well, I think if you have questions left over, we should do uh, part two sometime because that's good. Yeah. All right. That's great. All right, Jake. Thanks. Well, thanks for asking us lots of questions. Uh, thanks for thanks giving me lots of answers. Finally. Finally. <laughs> Finally. All right. See everybody next week. See you then. All right. Thanks. Bye, guys. Um. <laughs>